Hey everybody, it's your buddy Jack. Uh, glad you are here to listen. Things are good, right? I hope things are good for you. I hope life is good for you. Um, anybody and everybody that listens know that I keep you in my thoughts and prayers, and I am grateful, grateful um, for you listeners. If you're new, I appreciate you. Thanks for coming on board. I hope you get something um, out of this podcast. And I hope that you're willing to share it and continue uh, to listen. That is a wonderful thing, and I am grateful. Don't forget to hit that support button, right? I truly am grateful for anything and everything you feel led to contribute um, to this podcast. It is a big help, and I count it all a blessing, right? I count it all a blessing. That is for sure. And a shout-out to... um, my Ukrainian listeners, um, I don't know when and if you'll get to listen again. Um, I'm hoping that we make it through this. I say we, even though I'm in the U.S., know that um, we are praying for you and your families and your safety through this hard time, right? You know, it's um, got to be difficult and got to be scary for you and your family. Um, so know that uh, I am anyway, keeping you in my thoughts and prayers, right? Okay. On with <clears throat> this segment. I'm going to do it. I just got to do it, right? I don't want to make this series just about things that fracture and erode relationships. I have to express my thoughts on some positive relationship traits, right? And what, um, on relationship traits, and what is working for my wife and I, and what has worked for us for 21 years. But I can't do that without talking about our faith and the strength in which we get from our faith in God and each other. So, yes. Right, there is going to be a little more faith in God talk in this one, okay? So just bear with me, uh, hoping maybe you'll get some insight on um, what it is that we found that has worked, right? And right or wrong or indifferent, you know. I know some people say there's no such thing as God, and you know, faith and religion are are, are just crutches to lean on you know and i say so what what if we're right right maybe we could be we won't know until we're gone off this world if we're right or wrong you know and even if we're wrong if our faith in each other and our faith in god right brings us and brings our relationship some degree of peace Joy, love, happiness, right? A better, stronger spiritual connection with each other than who cares? You can double dunk me in that, right? You can double dunk me in that because I feel like even if we are wrong, with our faith, right? Our faith gives us the momentum to keep pressing forward. 
right? And doing good things for each other and saying good things to each other without the bickering, right? So what difference does it make? But let's just say for the sake of this conversation that we're right, okay? Maybe you can buy in, maybe not. So I'm just going to share some positives, not only my own, right? I took the time to look up some statistics too, okay? Again, I've always told you, don't just go by what I say, right? Because all I can give you is my work experience and my personal experience, right? If you're a new listener, um, I've been an addiction counselor for quite a long time, um, and I've worked as a peer support specialist, uh, right? And a peer support specialist supervisor and a clinical supervisor, right? I've done all of those things, and I've dealt with people that are probably in one of are in one of the ugliest points in their life, right? When you go to see an addictions counselor and you're in treatment, probably not one of your most proudest moments, right? So I've seen the ugly side of that too, right? So just hang in there. And like they say in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, take what you need. And leave the rest. So, here we go. If I didn't have faith or believe in God, I truly am not sure that I would be okay today. That's the honest truth. I'm not sure I would be living a recovery lifestyle. Right? Because recovery is that, um, a lifestyle. I do believe that God restored my marriage 20 years ago. My wife and I, while separated, now listen close, my wife and I, while separated, were both in rebound relationships for about the same time, right? Five months. We were separated seven months, but this description is for the first five. Some way, right? Some way, to me it was a godly way, a divine intervention some way those relationships ended and unknowingly because we hadn't been talking right for five months i chased her with all the honey come homes and baby pleases i could think of until i finally bought into the fact that every conversation we had was about divorce anytime i tried to talk to her for five months so about the fifth month mark i decided to let go right But unknowingly, we both started back to church. Now, keep in mind, neither of us knew what the other was doing because I had stopped reaching out. Anytime for five months, like I said, I tried to talk to her. She always discussed there was a divorce coming. Right? She was dead set on it. I always tell people that about that fifth month mark, like I said, I decided that I had to leave her alone. Remember I said we were separated for seven months, right? So there's two months left. I always say that when I shut up, God showed up. And that's my belief. When we got out of the way of ourselves, he began to do a work in us. Neither one of us knew 
that the other had started back to church. This didn't happen at the exact same time for us, but I would find out later our paths ran about the same. Right? That to me, that to me is a God thing. In that last two-month time frame, God did a work in us separately. The only woman who professed love for me on our wedding day then professed to be that a divorce was coming. That is where we were. Right? Now, not knowing we spent two months in church with God and is calling me, right? She called me. The two months went by. We were in our own churches. Probably just praying for each other, but praying for each other to be okay. Right? I'm not so sure that she was praying specifically to restore this marriage, but was probably praying about having and hearing some guidance on the whole ordeal. So, she calls me on July, July 4th of 2002. We planned a visit day and time for Sunday, July 7th of 2002, just a few days later. Guess what? My wife and I have happily restored our marriage ever since. We got married in 2000, so you can tell it didn't take me long to mess it up. If this was July of 2002 and we had already been separated seven months, right? <laughs> uh, it didn't take me long. That is for sure, right? Since all the forces that we were working against us, that was working against us during that separ separation didn't prevail, we managed to pull things together, right? So that's a little bit about our story. So hear this, please. What the Bible says about love and relationships. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boisterous. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. I love that particular line in this scripture. Love does not insist on its own way. Don't be a right fighter in your relationship, right? And it goes on to say, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. That's in 1 Corinthians 13. But that sticks out to me when it says love does not insist on its own way. I've talked about not being a right fighter before, right? My wife and I, you probably find it strange that my wife and I, and I think I've mentioned it before in, in a couple of other podcasts that we don't argue. We don't argue because when I compare things, to the time frame that we were separated, nothing ever seems 
as important as us having gotten back together. I don't care what it is. Right? I don't care what it is. I'll never forget that Sunday when her and the girls came back to my house. And I could, while we were talking, I could hear the kids playing in the background. You don't realize how much you miss that until it's gone. Right? You don't realize how much you miss that until it's gone. So as I said, I brought in some statistics as well. <clears throat> Four studies published in the Journal of Family Psychology indicate that cultivating practices such as selfless prayer, spiritual intimacy, and compassionate love can help keep couples happily together through the challenges of marriage. And I'll go um, as far as to say that that is exactly what happened for my wife and I. Right? As soon as we learned how to be selfless in our prayer and be selfless about each other's own needs, regain some strong spiritual intimacy with each other, which, of course, increased compassionate love that we had for each other. Challenges in our marriage marriage seem to come easier to overcome, right? It goes on to say, from becoming parents to caring for one another amid the, uh, the old, right, us getting older in age, right? These things can become more difficult, but can also become easier to tolerate depending on where you are, spiritually speaking. And another study in, in the uh, fall issue of psychology of religion finds that individuals who attached great importance to their faith and entered into marriage for religious reasons are less likely to commit adultery less likely that doesn't mean that it doesn't happen right i know some people that are questionable believers and even non-believers but more so i guess questionable believers talk about how <laughs> people in the churches are hypocrites right and that's okay we could always use one more you know what i mean um the church is, if you consider it um, not a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners. If you can picture it, maybe reframe it like that, you'll know that everybody in the church knows that there's not, they're not perfect. Granted, sometimes our own personalities and character defects take over, and you do get people in the church that still tend to be a little bit snobby, but that has nothing to do with God. That has nothing to do with that church. That church did not create that person. Right? That, that, that church did not cause this person to grow to a place where they felt above everyone. That's their own personal character defect. But mind you, and this holds true for AA meetings too. And in AME, if you go into any of those places looking for the negative you're going to find what you're looking for 
right? That's when you got to stop. Make the decision for yourself to either be in church or not. I would suggest for sure go. I love the praise and worship piece of it, right? That whole vibe just makes me feel good, makes my wife feel good, seems to bring us closer together, right? So don't go looking for all the negative. You'll find it. Same with AA meetings and NA meetings. You got to keep in mind that is a room full of sick people helping sick people. So you're going to find negative in there too, right? My personal opinion. This is just my personal opinion. When it comes to going from church to church to church, finding all the negative in it, right? Using that as reasons for not attending, right? Again, just this is just my opinion. I feel like maybe the devil may have that war won. As long as he keeps you too confused to commit, you don't have to worry about you. Right? If you stay too confused and frustrated to commit, he doesn't have to worry about you. Of course, I'm talking more about spiritual warfare uh, in that point. But that's a whole other conversation, right? Whole other conversation. Here's some more. I'm not so naive as to believe that families of faith or Christian families don't fall victim to someone cheating, as I just said. It happens. It just says less likely. Because first and foremost, we all make our own behavioral decisions it's called free will but not everyone chooses emphasis on the word chooses not everyone chooses to live a godly will so i know that things like cheating or domestic violence can still go on it happens unfortunately we're not looking for perfection just progress as a people right we just hope to do the best we can just living to be kind to each other no one is perfect no home is perfect and no church is perfect right the ultimate goal is just to bring some degree of kindness to one another another point praying for your partner when I leave my, I, I, I have two offices, right? Because um, the, the psychiatric hospital I work for has two different campuses, and they're about 45 minutes apart in distance. But I utilize that time to pray for my kids and my wife, right? On the way to work and on the way back home when I travel back to my hometown, Right? Praying for your partner, asking God for help with one, with one's own needs did not predict stronger romantic relationships. Right? Praying for each other does. One study in 316 college students found, right? Asking God for help with one's own needs did not predict stronger romantic relationships. Not that you shouldn't pray for your own needs too, right? 
I think that in some at some degree you should um, pray for yourself, but praying for your spouse is a big thing. What did matter in the study of co- these college students and a separate study of 205 married couples were divine appeals praying for the welfare of their partner and asking God to watch over him or her. Prayer for others was associated with increased commitment and more satisfying relationship. Are you hearing that? Praying for each other was associated with increased commitment and more satisfying relationship. These were researchers from Florida State University and also from uh, University of Georgia, right? So it helps. It helps. So please take it into consideration. For sure. Just at least take some of this stuff into consideration. Right? Like I said in the beginning, even if the families that feel like their strength is (coughs) connected to their faith and even if these couples feel like they draw strength from their connection with God even if they're wrong does that matter? really? that their theory about their faith in God strengthens them makes them feel stronger as a couple Right? We need more power couples out there anyway. There's too many young couples out there that are just willing to throw in the towel just because things get a little uncomfortable. Right? Take it into consideration. Because I've said it a million times in other podcasts, if you've got a struggling marriage and you're bickering every day, day in, day out, day in, day out, and you do nothing to change that right who wants to live in that but I can tell you this if nothing changes nothing changes so it wouldn't even hurt to apply this concept right consider it give it a shot give it a year six months to a year right and see if it doesn't help your relationship your marriage Because you can always back out, right? You can always go back, you know, like they say in the rooms of AA and and, and NA, we will gladly refund your misery at the door, right? So here's another point, being spiritually open and honest. New parents who were able to share their beliefs with their spouses in a way that enabled them to see each other as soulmates, we're more likely to work through conflicts in a positive manner, right? Our findings suggest that greater spiritual intimacy offers couples a spiritual resource to motivate them to remain kind and resist the urge to go negative on whatever they're bickering about or debating about, right? And when they discuss their core conflicts, 
is another time that they're able to restrain and remain kind and resist the urge to go or switch to negative talk when debating issues. Researchers from, this has come from the researchers from Bowling Green State University, right? That's what they reported. Spiritual intimacy appears to be one unique resource that motivates some spouses to preserve and protect their marriage when they become first-time parents together. And even though this particular comment or this study is talking about first-time parents, I don't think you have to be a, a parent yet at all. And I also think that this concept helps long after parenting your kids and they become adults and move out. Spiritual intimacy appears to be one unique source that motivates some spouses to preserve and protect their marriage, period. Listen, we can scratch out that first-time parenter line, right? Because I think that that is a concept that holds true no matter what stage of life you're at. Loving with compassion. On the other end of the generational scale, a study of 64 married older couples found that the belief that marriage is a sacred character was related to both increased marital satisfaction and compassionate love. And I can see that, right? My parents have been married for 50 plus years. There are a lot of couples, you see them, some make the news, some make news articles, whatever, but you hear of these couples that have been married for 50, 60, 70 years. Right? And they got married when it seems like marriage was more sacred. 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, right? Maybe even the 80s, I guess. Um, but I feel like even the kids that grew up with parents of that era continued some of that theory. I believe in marriage, and I do believe that it's sacred. Right? Sure. In my days of um, the bar business, um, and when, way back when I was a bouncer, I was 19, 20 years old, still a kid. Right? And even though I was married at the time, shouldn't have been. It's another little story about me. I got married at 18, my first wife. It didn't last five years, but it had nothing to do with her. It was about me. I liked that party life, right? Um, I also began to build some resentment for having been in that scenario, being married. Um, and it also created some anger issues with me. No one knew yet because it hadn't gotten to where it was explosive, right? But I was really, really disappointed in myself and angry with myself that I wasn't man enough to share my thoughts on getting married at that age, right? I just sort of went with the flow. My parents were happy, probably concerned. They never mentioned it. Her parents seemed happy, maybe also concerned, never mentioned it. 
but it just all seemed to come together really easily. And before I knew it, I found myself married. And at first, sure, you know, you were on this pink cloud. You stay in a honeymoon stage for a year or so, year or two, right? And creeping up on two and a half to three years, I had that big mood shift, right? And I was irritable and discontented, mostly with myself, right? My first wife was, is a great person, great person, and that didn't fall on her but you see that people married considered it a sacred character and were related to both increased marital satisfaction and compassionate love for each other sacred beliefs regarding a marriage may inspire the type of love that provides motivation encouragement and context to prioritize the needs of the spouse over oneself and that's that's me i really want my wife to be happy i want my current wife to be happy and i want her to be healthy i worry about her all the time right i do have some anxiety issues and sometimes i've got to stifle those a little bit because i do get anxious when she's out and about by herself when my mom's out and about by yourself because I know that if anything were to happen to them I would have to sell off my stuff and prepare to do some prison time because somebody's getting hurt right somebody's getting hurt and I do I, I'm anxious about that kind of thing but I have to stifle that right um, stay in control I do love my wife and I do feel like she's the best thing that's ever happened to me we were both in a different place now than we were in our first marriages, right? We've grown and matured even since then. Um, not only as people in our character, but in our faith and our belief in God, right? Our spiritual connection to each other and to God, I feel like, has grown more so in the last 10 years, um, which is a good feeling, right? It's a good feeling, and it's nice. It's nice for both of us. So, the ability to turn to spiritual and religious or faith resources for support and forgiveness may help improve marital quality in cases where spouses struggle with being able to share their feelings with one another. And there's some truth to that, right? Until you grow the strength in your faith and develop stronger trust it can still be tough to have those harder conversations, right? But you're still not left alone. Even if you don't go to a church service, try some of the groups they have. There are a lot of churches that have marital, spousal-related groups. Or um, you call them... Uh, just gatherings, right? They're not necessarily a group for, like, counseling, per se. But it's just a church-related group of married couples. They come together and do sometimes fun exercises, 
right? Sometimes um, discuss some stressful details that come along with being married, right? It's a good place to start. It's a good place to start, right? At our church, we call them C groups, church groups. And um, I love being in a small group with other couples because that gives the couples, it gives us a chance to share things, bounce things off each other, gain some insight from each other, and gain more momentum and more strength as a couple as we share in some of our struggles and victories, right? It's a good way to gain some momentum and strength in your own marriage by gaining some insight from the couples that have been there longer than you, right? It didn't have to be by much. If people have been married two years longer than you but have been in church a decade versus your two or three years, right, they're a little bit ahead of the spiritual game. It can be, there can be some very wise suggestions made in those groups, right? Walking the walk of faith. In the case of one of the biggest marriage killers, infidelity, individuals are more likely to be faithful when they are influenced by their faith or spiritual beliefs in deciding when or whom to marry, right? So sometimes some people plan their marriage, right? But they already are considering their faith and spiritual beliefs before meeting the one they're going to marry. If you can get married to someone who is at the same place, you know, in addiction counseling and therapy, we talk about meeting people where they're at, right? So if you can utilize that and meet someone that is in the same place you are spiritually and emotionally speaking, all the ties that bind, you will be strong. You will be a super couple, right? But only if they also have a strong degree of personal faith. That's what I mean. If they, if you meet them where they're at and they're in a, in a place where they're as strong in their spiritual and emotional growth as you are, you will become a power couple. Please do not confuse religion with spirituality. <clears throat> the two are different things, but can be connected. Some people feel that you can be so religious that you're no spiritually good, right? Because in my belief, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I can't say that I believe that God really cares about what you're wearing. When you step into his house, when you step into a church, right? I don't think that God looks at your clothing, your hairdo, your shoes, right? Sure, you want to dress nice and be as appropriate as possible, right? But I, I, I feel it in my heart that those things really don't necessarily matter. I think what matters is where your heart is. If you go in there in the most scraggly clothes you got, but your heart's desire is to be connected to God, I know in my heart he's not going to turn you away. 
Can I promise you that the people of that particular church won't? No, unfortunately, I cannot promise that. I cannot promise that. But then what you do, instead of blanketing your opinion of Christians because of this one experience, find another place to go. Find another place to go. Right? Don't give up on what your spiritual needs or wants are. As an individual and as a couple. Right? If you and your husband or wife wake up one day and you decide, dang it, baby, we got to get back into church. We got to get reconnected. We got to go back. Right? Then do it. Then do it, but don't let your first experience dictate whether you're going to bail again or not. Right? Or maybe it's your first time and you're going in and it's like really bad experience and you're just like, that's what I thought. I ain't going back in that place. Right? Don't let your first experience dictate what you want, spiritually and emotionally speaking. Right? If it's your hard desire to get closer to God, then do it. Find a way. Not every church is going to turn people away based on what they see. Right? And I really hope and pray that there are a lot fewer of those churches in the world today. Right? Because that's what it's for. Right? You come in and you're scraggly, homeless, torn up clothes. Maybe you hadn't had a shower in a few days. Right? But here you are coming into a church by faith, hoping that someone there will reach out to you and help. Just don't let your first experience, if it's a bad one, throw you off course, right? Don't let it happen, right? Don't let it happen. Some people feel that you can be so religious that you're no spiritually good. Either way, you have to choose a path, a faith and a practice that works for you both, right? Cultivation of a relationship that has been broken requires hard work, requires love and patience. Commitment to the relationship is the first step to restoration, and both sides in the relationship must be completely vested to make it work. If the couple is willing to put an extra effort to save a deteriorating relationship, there is hope. I've seen it happen. I've known a lot of couples who have come through church, right, and you get to hear some of their stories. Sometimes some of them will share their testimony. And there's been an affair. But to look at them in that moment, they look happier than they've ever been. That takes strength. That takes God's strength, right? To bounce back from 
a situation like that, infidelity, it takes a lot of love, time, and effort on both parties. God is the strongest and most significant or magnificent source of relationship help. Yet many don't utilize his guidance. The Bible is full of relationship advice, and if you listen for God's voice in your heart, he will move through you. By bringing him into your relationship, you are more likely to have your relationship restored. My wife and I did. God works in mysterious ways. Some believe that. I believe it's mysterious to us because he didn't have to ask us. Right? I never got a Gmail, funny God joke, saying, hey, Jack, I'm thinking about blessing these people with this, that, or the other. What do you think? That doesn't happen. Right? So, yes, it's mysterious to us. God works in mysterious ways that will help your relationship grow again. Take a deep breath because God will help save your love and can help restore your marriage just like he did ours, right? Just like he did ours. One of the things my wife and I did, if you remember in the beginning, I mentioned we were rebound, we were in rebound relationships. The trick was we vowed to each other that we would never, would never throw them in each other's faces, especially if we were to have an argument. But my wife and I don't argue, so it's never been an issue. We just don't talk about them. Nothing we could ever argue about could mean more to me than having her back in my life, as I've said before. Everything else is just petty. I have no need to be a right fighter, no ego big enough to feel compelled to have my way. Infidelity. Was it infidelity? I don't know. She was determined to divorce me at the time. But so many marriages can't get through that scenario, if you want to call it infidelity, because again, we were separated. Because they won't leave the other people out of their marriage. Once we came together and we discussed our situations, unless we're sharing like this in a testimony, right, that we've done a lot of times. We've shared a testimony at a church or a celebrate recovery meeting and that sort of thing. We've done radio talk show, right? But if we're not doing something like that, we don't talk about those people. It's not healthy. It's not healthy at all, right? The Bible is full of advice from the Lord about having a healthy relationship. In Ephesians 4.15, God reminds us to be honest with each other and speak with love in your heart. Ephesians 4.26 and 7. We are to hold, we are, no, we are told to attack the problem and not the person. That's the key. Attack the problem, not the person. If you're having money issues, together figure out how to resolve it. Don't blame one another. That happens a lot. Making sure to speak kindly to the other person when a problem arises will help keep 
lines of communication open. Lastly, Proverbs 18, 13 through 19, we are reminded to respond to our partner in a godly way, regardless of what happens. Take time with your spouse and look up passages in the Bible dedicating, dedicated to relationships. Share a devotional with each other and then discuss how it could help your relationship. And I'll leave you with one more. Guys with wives, pray for her daily. Luke 10, 33. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper compatible to him. Compatible to him. The scripture says compatible. Not above and for sure not beneath you, but compatible. Whether you're newlywed celebrating or celebrating 20 years like us, fixing to be 22, or making a lifetime together, every marriage needs work. Investing time in God's word, spending time in prayer and thoughtful communication will put you on the right path to a better marriage. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I couldn't do this relationship thing without talking about faith because it has meant so much to my wife and I, and it means so much to so many couples that I've come across, right? It helps. It helps. And I hope that you find a way to find some degree of spiritual connection that will help you in your marriage. Again, I'm grateful. Thank you for listening. I hope you got something out of this podcast and maybe you know somebody else that needs to hear some of these points. I appreciate you. And until next time, absolutely be blessed. Thank you.